the the thing that happened, I think, which is maybe the most important influence that I found for myself. And I, and yeah. I think that influence from other people is great, but things that you find yourself always kind of resonate, maybe as sure. being a little bit more important. Um, and this this reference, unlike Shawadi Wadi, which a lot of people, I guess, yeah. listening to this may not get the reference. The, something happened in 1983. I was given a uh, like a tape cassette recorder radio thing uh, for my birthday in 83. And that gave me some freedom to kind of listen to radio stations myself. And the thing I found that without doubt was a huge influence for me was uh, one of the radio stations in the UK, a few weeks after it had been aired in the US, would uh-huh. play Casey Casey Kasem's America's Top 40. And I guess it was like on a two or three week delay. It was a Sunday afternoon. And I found this. Um, and again, this is one of the things I was kind of looking back and seeing the dates and how everything lines up. So I was hearing this really, really cool music that wasn't on English radio stuff coming to me because of Casey Kasem. But nothing that I was hearing was kind of sticking. I listened to a few of the print songs, didn't really care for those. I listened to, a, you know, you'd hear a couple of good things but then the next single didn't really grab me and the next single didn't really grab me. And then what must have been, I, I guess, May 84, Dancing in the Dark comes on the radio. And I don't, Jesse, I don't want to be guilty of overplaying this, but I also don't want to underplay it, right? It, it changed my life. I can remember the first time I heard it. I can, and not only can I remember the first time I heard it and how it made me feel, I remember where I was, what I was doing. This is 38 years ago. My mum gave me some context for this a few years later. She kind of said to me, you know, well, I guess this isn't surprising. And I remember this from her. Um, I guess it isn't surprising you're this focused on Bruce or it's affected you this much. I still remember the first time you heard Dancing in the Dark. I was like, oh, why? Why do you, why do you remember that? And she said, because it was the first time in your 10 years of life that you sat down and shut up and actually focused on Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen and music and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is my new friend. Uh, in a timey-wimey way, we are my morning, his afternoon, and we've just spent 30 minutes talking about Dallas Cowboys, and we've decided it's time to move to Bruce. So if you want to hear this, uh, definitely go to my Patreon page, and I may throw this up on how many, but Mark Dempsey, welcome to the show. Hi, Jesse. It's really, uh, it's really, really fun to meet you uh, properly. Yeah, well, thank you. So tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, it, it, well, first of all, it's it's really great to get the chance to, to do this. Uh, I'm uh, uh, I feel really quite privileged that uh, we're talking. Um, so yeah, I'm Mark Dempsey. Uh, currently living in a, in a small town in the in the kind of the southern part of the UK uh, called Calm. Uh, I'm 47 years old, nearly 48 years old. Uh, I've been a fan of Bruce since I first heard him at the age of 10. Uh, I'm sure we'll get onto onto all of that. Um, but yeah, I grew I grew up in a in a big city in uh, in kind of the southwest of uh, the UK called Bristol. Um, spent five years a little while ago living in Toronto, Canada. My wife and I emigrated out there in late 2011 uh, and lived there until late 2016, uh, okay. which was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, learned lots. And uh, one of the things we'll absolutely come on to in a bit is uh, some of the incredible Bruce friends we met, uh, having you know emigrated to a country where we knew no one. Um, and uh, have come back to the UK, you know, some years later with people that will be lifelong friends that we met purely because of Bruce Springsteen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been back in the UK, uh, well, actually pretty much exactly five years right now. Uh, we came back to take a job um, back in London. Um, I, I work in 
strategy consulting. So I work with uh, lots of kind of retailers and food service operators all around the world working on retail strategy. But that's that's uh, not my real passion. My big passion is uh, big passion is Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, how's the how's your how's your job been with during the pandemic? Uh, well, I, actually, um, I, I have to say we, we've I, I feel quite lucky. Um, we we're in a we're in a role, if you like, where we support um, big retailers, big manufacturers uh, with having to research what's happening in the world. So, um, yeah, d- d- through no real skill of my own, just being lucky at the right time to be in a company where we were needed. So, um, yeah, ha- haven't been furloughed or, or, or lost my job. Thank, thank you for asking. Uh, kind of it's, it's been a bit touch and go, to be honest. I mean, it's been it's been nervous. Um, it, it's been kind of anxious making at times, um, but it's also been uh, it's been it's been pretty good in the last few years in terms of studying the markets, understanding what's happening. So um, that's been that's been OK. That's been OK. Obviously, other challenges kind of you know, health concerns, worried, sure. about, worried about family, worried about community, as everyone has been. It's been, you know, just an awful couple of years, to be entirely yeah. honest. But uh, yeah, it looks like we're all looks like we're coming through. Yeah, I hope so. We're um, there, you know, here in the U.S., we're fighting, a, you know, there is a a percentage of people who are kind of resisting getting vaccinated. And yeah. so we're we're very concerned about that. But yes, things are slowly getting back to normal. Um, and, you know, we all are just pulling for that and hoping for more. Um, so, Mark, I always like to start at the beginning. So talk to me growing up. You, you mentioned where you're growing up. What kind of music did your family listen to? Yeah, do you know, I, I haven't um, I haven't done much kind of preparation for this. I wanted it to be kind of more off the cuff, but there's a couple of things I just wanted to kind of, you know, kind of almost pre-fact check and make sure I got the dates right. And uh, I, I went back to look at kind of what, what music was around at the time that I knew my mum was listening to. So uh, I, was, I was born in 73 and kind of around about, I think quite early on, five or six years in, so like 78, 79, uh, I, I was certainly becoming very, very aware of wanting to listen to the music my mum was listening to. Uh, and she was really very quite heavily into John Denver, Neil Diamond, um, Glenn Campbell. Uh, and when I think back about that, kind of storytellers, right? So a little bit more, a little bit more maybe Western states, more country influence, yeah. which we know certainly... Um, you know, drives a lot of Bruce's inspiration. So kind of makes sense to me now that, that thinking back that someone like Bruce would, would, would come along eventually and would really grab my attention with his storytelling with some of the, some of the softer influences and, and, and country or Western state influences, if you like. Um, she was big, big uh, ABBA fan. I remember she had a really great ABBA live album. I remember kind of always being quite captivated by the live music, the, the audience interaction. Um, and the other thing I really remember as one of my first, like heavy, heavy influences, um, uh, she had like a, a video of a John Denver concert, I, I, I guess late 70s, early 80s. Um, and, and he would tell quite some stories before his songs. There aren't many artists that speak as much as Bruce speaks in, in, in concert. John Denver, I think, was one of them. I always kind of remember looking back. I, I must have been seven or eight. I'm watching... John Denver tell stories before a song. I can kind of even still remember some of them. They really resonated sure. with me. So I think those influences, Denver, Neil Diamond, Glenn Campbell, ABBA. And then the one album that actually really had a big impact, funnily enough, on, on, on me and my sister, who I'm sure will end up listening to this at some point, but was, was an album released in early 1984 by Queen uh, mm-hmm. called The Works. Mm-hmm. Now, I am not, I was not and, and am not a huge Queen fan, but uh, but that album had like three or four big hits on it, and this is this is one of the things I kind of ended up checking this morning. So uh, yeah, released early '84, which the timing of that is quite important. Uh, Hammer to Fall, Hard Life, uh, I Want to Break Free, Radio Gaga, right? Were all the singles from that? Like just great rock and roll, and that was really, I think, one of the first times where I was really kind of captured by rock and roll. That was like yeah. early '84. Um, and then the other band, and I appreciate this is probably quite a heavily North American audience. That, so this reference might not resonate with everyone, but there's an, uh, there was an English band in the 70s and 80s uh, called Shawaddy Waddy. Right? Okay. Shawaddy Waddy. 
which is like this reference to some like um, doo-wop backing vocals. I was like, shawadi, wadi, shawadi, wadi, that kind of thing, right? Okay. It's a reference to that. Um, and they played mainly cover versions of 60s and 70s songs. Um, and they covered a lot of Eddie Cochran. Now, okay. So kind of something else or summertime blues, those and, and something else by Eddie Cochran remains to this day one of my all time favorite rock and roll songs. And it, it's funny. No one. Re- I have, I've never heard Bruce talk about Eddie Cochran specifically. I've seen him play a couple of Eddie Cochran covers, but he doesn't seem to kind of speak about Eddie Cochran as a very significant influence. But I listen back now to those Eddie Cochran songs. And to me, they're just they must have got through to Bruce somehow. Uh, and I remember Shawadi Wadi being a very big influence to me in terms of understanding rock and roll and 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 twelve bar blues to a degree and kind of that progression of some of some really really great cover songs. So that kind of gets us up to eighty three, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. And then, so I want to jump yeah, sure. just for a moment. Um, so, how excited were you when you heard Bruce do Rhinestone Cowboy? Oh yeah, I mean actually. Uh, and I, I didn't know it was coming, so yeah, we went. Yeah. Uh, we went to um, we went to the cinema in Leicester Square to see the film. Yeah, and uh, we did not get tickets to the premiere, but we were seeing the show after. Okay. Uh, the, the, the and so there was kind of maybe he's coming, maybe, and he didn't. He wasn't there. Uh, but I did not know Rhinestone Cowboy was at the end of uh, Western Stars. Loved it. That, that that was it's one of those things. There's quite a few instances of kind of coming full circle right there's yeah. some 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 things with bruce right you they always end up coming back like they come back to an influence or they come back to something that you've seen before and so yeah rhinestone cowboy was a nice kind of circling back to one of my first influences yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's 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 nice my my mom um loved glenn campbell as well and okay. so western stars really spoke to me because of that you know, Jimmy Webb and that influence on that. So yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So you're, you're hitting your teenage years. Yeah. So, uh, so talk to me about, did you rebel a little bit against your parents' music or what did you, <laughs> did you embrace some new, what, what happened? Well, that's that. Okay. Good, good question. So uh, um, the kind of the pinnacle moment here is like late 83, early 84. So yeah, um, yeah. I, the, the house I grew up in actually, uh, I was my mum, my sister, and me. Uh, my mum separated from my dad when I was three years old. Okay. Um, you know, I, I I certainly don't want this to sound like some kind of claim of similar experience to Bruce, but my dad was an yeah. alcoholic. Um, you know, clearly now I look back and I hear stories about him. An alcoholic clearly suffered from depression. Yeah. Made some very 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 bad choices, and 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 my mum picked us up and left one day. Uh, me and my sister. Okay. Uh, so uh, we were kind of picked up and and moved uh to a different home lived with my grandparents so my my kind of upbringing was a little bit a little bit different no no dad but grandparents and and so mm-hmm. my mum's influence was uh very 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 important to me i certainly didn't rebel from it or certainly not that yeah. early um so the music that that she was that she had was a really really important inspiration to me um the the thing that happened i think which is maybe the most important influence that I found for myself. And I, and yeah. I think that influence from other people is great, but things that you find yourself always kind of resonate, maybe sure. a little bit more important. Um, and this, this reference, unlike Shawadi Wadi, which a lot of people, I guess, yeah. listening to this may not get the reference. The, something happened in 1983. I was given a, uh, like a tape cassette recorder radio thing uh, for my birthday in 83. And that gave me some freedom to kind of listen to radio stations myself. And the thing I found that without doubt was a huge influence for me was uh, one of the radio stations in the UK, a few weeks after it had been aired in the US, would mm-hmm. play Casey, Casey Kasem's America's Top 40. Yes. Uh, and I guess it was like on a two or three week delay. It was a Sunday afternoon in the okay. UK. And I, I found this. Um, and again, this is one of the things I was kind of looking back and seeing the dates and how everything lines up. So uh, Prince 1999 was around about that time. Um, Men at Work Down Under was around about that time. So songs I was hearing because they were getting really big in the US. Um, and I was hearing them in advance of them being in the UK, because at that time, 
new releases in the US would happen and they'd only make it across to Europe a couple of months later, right? Yeah. Um, unlike today where everything's just launched on Spotify at the sure. same time. It appears on the cloud and you magically download it. Mm-hmm. So I was hearing this really, really cool music that wasn't on English radio stations. Yeah. It was coming to me because of Casey Kasem. Um, but nothing that I was hearing was kind of sticking. I listened to a few of the print songs, didn't really care for those. I listened to, a, you know, you'd hear a couple of good things, but then the next single didn't really grab me and the next single didn't really grab me. Um, and then what must have been, I, I guess, May 84, Dancing in the Dark comes on the radio. Okay. And I, and I don't... <laughs> Jesse, I don't want to be guilty of overplaying this, but I also don't want to underplay it, right? It, it changed my life. Right. right. So the I can remember the first time I heard it. I can, and not only can I remember the first time I heard it and how it made me feel, I remember where I was, what I was doing. This is 38 years ago. Right. right. Uh, and, and my mum gave me some context for this a few years later when I'd kind of jump forward to like, I don't know, like 87, 88, and yeah. I was just monstrously entirely focused on Bruce Springsteen she kind of said to me you know well I guess this isn't surprising and I remember this from her um I guess it isn't surprising you're this focused on Bruce or it's affected you this much I still remember the first time you heard Dancing in the Dark I was like oh why why do why do you remember that Uh and she said because it was the first time in your 10 years of life that you sat down and shut up and actually focused on something. Wow. And I was, I was just gobsmacked. I, I was mm-hmm. very hyperactive. I mean, I still am probably, yeah. but I was very hyperactive. I didn't focus on anything. I, I was never the kind of kid that would sit down and do like a very complex Lego puzzle right. or right, build things. I just wasn't, I, I played some sports. I listened to some music. I went from this to that. Yeah. With lots and lots of energy running around, not really focusing on anything. I, I was probably a nightmare. And, and it's yeah, the first time you ever sat down, shut up and focused on something. Do you, can you articulate why Dancing in the Dark spoke to you so much? It, it, it just, it kind of punched me in the stomach. It was the, I, I don't, I, no, I do know. I don't know if I okay. can. It's a good question. I don't know if I can. The, yeah. the, something about the sound something about the, the pace, something about the, I mean, when you're 10 years old and you're hearing a song for the first time, you don't hear the lyrics. Right. So I'm not going to claim that the lyrics somehow spoke to me, but something spoke to me. Um, and the, the, the vibrancy of the song maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me want to hear it more. I, I spent then the next couple of weeks, literally poised listening to the radio to hear it again. So I had to wait, Again, it wasn't released in the UK yet. So I had to wait right. for, the next week for Casey Kasem. So I hit record. Okay, now I've got Dancing in the Dark. And I just played it and played it and played it and played it. And then over the next, over the next couple of weeks, um, they started to kind of release some songs. And I, I, know, I don't know why, but Darlington County was the next song I heard. I was like, okay. well, I love, I love that song as well. And then I heard Born in the USA. And I remember... Um, being really quite excited that I had born in the USA. So there must have been stuff in the press. I'm only 10, so you don't really get what's going on. But I remember being very excited at having born in the USA and not really knowing why. So there must have been stuff just in the ether about how exciting this was and how big this was. Um, and, And it's funny, now I think back to other things that must have influenced me. So, you know, at that time, I was already supporting the Dallas Cowboys. Right. So I'd already found the Dallas Cowboys. So there's that. I was a big fan of kind of like Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider. I was a big Americana kid. I wasn't too worried about the UK or Europe or nothing really right. inspired me there. I was inspired by what was happening on your side of the Atlantic Ocean. Right. So Smokey and the Bandit um, with Burt Reynolds, Cannonball Run. Um, still to this day, one of my favorite, favorite films of all time. It's a mad, 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 mad world, right? That crazy right. 1960s car chase thing. So Americana grabbed me. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that without really knowing why, this kind of very American rock, thoughtful, detailed singer would grab my attention. 
that and mm-hmm. and you know as much as I cared for John Denver, Shawadi Wadi, Glenn Campbell, never grabbed it. Never grabbed me. Right. This just grabbed me, and like my mum said, it made me sit down, shut up, and actually listen. Did you start um, saving your allowance, or go and buy old albums, or you know check his back catalog? Were you? Um, by the way, uh, Casey Kasem noon on Sunday in growing up at Lake Charles, Louisiana was much listened, right? Oh, I would that's be cool. in there. You know, I would okay. love Casey Kasem. In fact, um, Sirius XM here in the States on the 70s channel will play that sometime on the weekend. Oh, really? and, and we go back to just, you know, my, when my wife and I are traveling and we catch that, we just love hearing these stories and hearing, you know, Casey yeah. talk about them. Yeah. Just greatness. Oh, that's that that's that's really cool. So you you and I probably you know from eight thousand miles away listening to the same radio station. That's uh, absolutely. That's yeah, that, that's yeah. very cool. So no, look here, here's the here's the surprising thing, and I just in the last couple of weeks, kind of thinking about what we're going to talk about. I can't put my finger on it. I don't really know why, but I I didn't do that yet. I didn't go kind of into the back catalogue. Um, I remember. So probably the scene to set here, I, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, I wasn't getting an allowance. We, we were not a wealthy family, right, at, okay. at all. At sure. all. Uh, in fact, it, things were very, very challenged. Uh, and, you know, my mum did just the most incredible job to just keep putting, you know, food on the table, right? We, yeah. we were not in a great position with the, you know, the marriage having broken up a few years earlier. Sure. And so that was not on the cards that I was just going to be able to go out and buy an LP. Um, but what I did do was I had a lot of fun that year waiting for the next Springsteen song. Right. Uh, and obviously with it being the Born in the USA album, there were seven singles, I think six or seven or eight. Uh, so I, over the course of five or six months, I then got, what would it have been? Glory days. Uh, sure. No, no surrender. Yeah. My hometown. My yeah, hometown. Right. Right. Yeah. Correct. So I went through a period of a year, probably just really excited to hear the next one. I, I never kind of thought, well, I'll get the album. And maybe there was a little bit of, it probably costs too much money. I remember yeah. I, I actually asked for it for Christmas one of the years and didn't get it. It was not, it just wasn't seen as critical sure. Christmas expenditure, right? Yeah. Um, but then I, I remember I, I got the album in probably very late 85 maybe like christmas 85 and i remember downbound train and i'm going down which i had not yet heard at that point they hadn't mm-hmm. been released right or, or not made it to me downbound train and i'm going down are kind of quite important to me because i already had these six or seven amazing songs and then here come two songs which to my ears just blew everything else away yeah so when yeah. i actually listened to the born in the usa album and downbound train and, and, and i'm going down to this day, I get super excited seeing those in concert because sure. those those were kind of the two that made me think, well, I already had these six or seven incredible songs and now I have this album and there's even better stuff. Right. So then I kind of wanted to start actually looking into it. Um, and I, I got a couple of like old singles. So like an old 45, of like a, a Born to Run and a couple of others, like A Hungry Heart, I think with two of the kind of couple of next ones. And then I think I kind of put it down and yeah. left it there. And I was very happy with the Born in the USA album. Uh, I was starting a new school. I was playing sports. I was getting yeah. into other music. And, and that kind of satisfied me. Um, and then probably the next most important thing happened. Um, and if you, I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you haven't seen it, it's really worth finding. It's now on YouTube and available. But in, in early 1987, the BBC, uh, so the main, the main UK TV broadcaster, yeah. uh, made a documentary about Bruce Springsteen. Okay. So the very famous UK uh, music journalist, Dave Hepworth, uh, in, intro, uh, interviewed Bruce. Um, it was all filmed and they were given access to 15 songs from the archives, live footage. Uh, and this was this was early '87 that this was released, um, 
and I it's very lucky I saw it. So it's called, I think it was called Glory Days, the Bruce Springsteen documentary. You can look it up on YouTube. It's astonishing. And I was kind of home from school one afternoon and just by chance saw this trailer uh, late afternoon on the TV for the fact they were going to air this documentary at 10 o'clock that night. And I uh, remember saying to my mum, look, that's the guy with that does Born in the USA. That's the guy with Dancing in the Dark. I need to watch that. She's like, yeah, well, we can record it. We had a video recorder. Um, it's on too late. It's a school night, right? I still, I still at this stage, I was 13 years old. And I said, no, 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 I'm staying up. What happens if it doesn't record? What happens if the video recorder breaks? What happens if, you know, what happens if, what happens if, what happens if? I have to watch this. And that was kind of the first moment where I was like, I'm prepared to die on this hill for Bruce Springsteen. Right. And there have been many examples of those over the last 30 years. Yes. Uh, and, and to the point where this thing was going to be on between, I don't know, 1030 and midnight. Yeah. Uh, and there, there was a pretty strict kind of nine o'clock curfew. You're in bed in, in, in our house when I was growing up. Sure. And my mom, my mom kind of looked at me as if to say, OK, I can see I'm not even going to win this one. Fine. You stay up. You're going to regret it in the morning. You're going to be absolutely dead on your feet in school. So I, I stayed up to watch this. Uh, and if you've never seen it, it opens with the official Born to Run video. So I didn't know this at the time, but I think they'd done this documentary to coincide with the release of Live 1975 to 85. Makes sense. Right. So a lot of the footage is about the songs that are on that. And Bruce is talking predominantly in the interviews about the songs that are on there. I didn't know this. I didn't have the Live 1975 to 85 album at this stage. So I stay up. It opens with Dave Hepworth talking about Bruce over the Born to Run, that live official video. And then cuts to Bruce interviewed, talking about his history. And this is the first time I've seen Bruce talk, and I am just captivated. Like the, yeah. uh, and now, at that point, it's utter captivation. I can now see him. I can now hear him talking. He's suddenly this real visceral person to me. And everything he is saying is this mix of, why haven't I thought of this before? Yeah. <laughs> There's this whole life out there. This guy is now talking about experiences. And I'm, what, 12, 13 years old, uh, you know, confused 12, 13-year-old, right, thinking about my space in the world, thinking about stuff. And here's Bruce talking about the confused characters he writes about and the the challenges and the you know the ambiguities of life like who is like who is this guy mm -hmm. right and why have why have i not asked myself these questions before so i watched this thing the whole way through just jesse i can't even tell you i'm starstruck at, at watching this and then something really important happens because i'm already kind of watching um, they put Jungle Land on there and they put they put a couple of songs on there that weren't on the box set, right? So there's video of Jungle Land, video of Prove It Night. So now I see him playing the guitar and running around stage with this band. Um, and the interview's really good. And I remember there's this run of songs in there where they play Johnny 99 uh, with Bruce and Jess Nils on the guitar, um, The Promised Land. And then suddenly I'm becoming aware of Nils Lofgren, right? I've never heard of the guy before. I'm, I am to this day an incredibly huge Nils Lofgren fan. Right. Um, and they play The Promised Land from 1985 right towards the end of the Born in the USA tour. Nils just nails this solo. Right. Captivated. So now I'm seeing Clarence and Nils and, and Bruce playing with his bandmates. I had no idea any of this existed. Yeah. And then they cut kind of back to Dave Hepworth and it's kind of Dave Hepworth kind of interviewing Bruce about different themes and kind of the depression stuff that led to Nebraska and yeah. uh, what happened on Born in the USA and that stuff. And then I remember Dave Hepworth says to him, you know, it's not just, he says something like, you know, it's not just the, the dark stories and it's not just the character stuff. There's a lot of room for you guys just having fun and messing around. And Bruce says something along the lines of sure, you know, our concerts are a mix of things, but, you know, there is a lot of room to have a good time. Yeah. And then they play all of Cadillac Ranch from 1985 
one of the final shows of the Born in the USA tour. So it's the right. Los Angeles Coliseum, right? And that's it. It's just full on love at that point. So I don't know if you've seen it or you could kind of picture it, but there's a point in the middle of it in the first musical bridge, Bruce and Nils kind of start doing this weird dance, they're down on their knees, throwing their guitars around their heads, right? And, and there's no other way to describe it. I'm just in love with them. Yeah. Uh, and then from Cadillac Ranch, they go into growing up and they show the whole weird, ridiculous story, again, from the end of the Born in the USA tour, where Bruce and Clarence meet this gypsy lady. Yeah. Uh, and she tells them they have to go on a long journey. So Bruce and Clarence, right? jump into this fake car and I, I I'm not going to do it. I can still do the whole story. Right. Like yeah. jump in the car and every single part of the car breaks. Right. So the carburetor goes then the engine block cracks and the wheels fly off, then the fenders. And then it culminates with the fact that they keep going and they keep going. But the thing that breaks them is when the radio stops working. Right? Yeah. I like I'm 12 years old watching magic happen in front of me. <laughs> I can't believe what I'm looking at. And I, I carry that with me. So 12-year-old Mark goes to these shows today, goes around the world because of that television program. Right? That's, it, there's no other way of saying it. It's a direct correlation. It's, it's linear progression. I, I go to those shows because at the age of 12, I stayed up all night to watch this video about a man who, to my knowledge, only had one album, right? had Born in the USA. And here's footage of him from 1975. Here's footage of him from only like a year ago, right? In the Born in the USA tour with this band of amazing people telling stories that made me cry with laughter that, that 38 years later, I could still do pretty much verbatim about them going down through Lakewood, down through Tom's River, down through Route 9, and then the radio breaks and all hell breaks loose, right? It's just... I'm, I, I was captivated then, and I am captivated now. That's great. I, I I love that story. That you know, as you said, you know, one plus one, you know, equals three. Oh, as he talks about, right? That magic. You're right. You're right. Did um, so. I always preface this, Mark, with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of no. how big of a fan you are. There are people who've never seen him live that are massive fans. There are people that, um, you know, have seen him hundreds of times. So when was the first time you saw him? And let's, I want to hear that story, but also do you track how many times you've seen him? Have you counted? (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I do. And uh, you're absolutely right the number, the rule number is entirely arbitrary. It almost doesn't matter. There, there are people who I'm sure may have never seen him or seen him two or three times that, that he means as much to them as he means to me, no doubt. Um, and I do try and limit myself to a reasonable number of shows on a tour. Um, so I've seen him 65 times plus Broadway. Um, and I kind of, I don't count Broadway as a concert, so I say, 65, I say 65 plus Broadway. Um, I kind of call Broadway, I don't know, like some kind of performance art, right? Or theater of the absurd. It was ridiculous. Um, ridiculous. We can talk about it a bit if you want. I know a lot of people have talked about Broadway on this, so we don't need to kind of get into it. I, I saw it on my 45th birthday um, and, and it was astonishing. It was a culmination, right? It was a full, coming full circle to hear some of those stories told. Um, but yeah, 65 shows. Um, I didn't see him, to answer your question directly, I didn't see him until 1992. That was my first show. So I didn't see the E Street Band, obviously, on the 85 tour. Right. It was just way too late. I just, I just simply yeah. didn't even know he had been in the UK. Um, and we don't need to get into this story because it's still to this day makes me angry but i did not see him on the tunnel of love tour due to i had a ticket i had a ticket to go and see him uh and i was not able to go um and i was i I was reconciled by family and friends who told me don't worry he'll be back next year uh 
four and a half years later, he finally came back and with an entirely different band. <laughs> but so I didn't see him in 88, despite my best efforts to see him in 88. My first show was uh, July 6th, 1992, with the other band, as they are generously sometimes called. Uh, but it was astonishing. I had no point of reference, right? Uh, I had not sure. seen the band exactly. live. And I thought July the 6th, 1992 at that stage was probably the greatest day of my life up until that point. So I was 18. I, guess. I was going to ask that. Yeah. yeah, I was 18. And and I went there. Uh, I'd got a ticket. It was the opening night of five shows. So he played five nights at Wembley Arena in 92 at the end of the European tour. I went two nights. I went the first night and the and then the fourth of the five. And that first night, the first time I got to see him live, I, I just, I still to this day can't even describe it. It was joy like you've never seen. I mean, I was, I was joyous, right? The, the entire show. I can still, it's one of those things I can still viscerally remember how I felt about that show. Yeah, it's like seven or eight years into your fandom, you know, this guy. Uh, seven or eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this guy has been you know, significant in your life and it, and to finally get to see him live. Yeah. I, I'm sure you were just, just keyed up, you know, you mentioned how you're pretty keyed up anyway, you know, uh, so <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, you, oh, yeah. your excitement. Oh, it, it was, it, it was, it was just, just ecstasy. And there, there was this was in the back in the day when they were still doing like a halftime break. Um, and that first show I got I got very, very lucky. I was kind of 10th row. So this is Wem Wembley Arena, 15,000 people. But I was very, very close for my first show. Back in the day when it was still seats on the on, on the floor as opposed to a, a pit. So it was seated. But of course, it was stood up the whole way through. Um, and I remember at the halftime interval. So roll of the dice, I think, was the big kind of culmination of, the, of that first set. Um, I'm kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't mind saying, right, Bruce makes me cry on quite a regular basis. So, like, I'm two or three minutes into the halftime. I'm already kind of, I'm just in tears. I can't believe what I've just seen. This guy next to me says, are you, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so happy at what I've seen. He's like, well, this is just nowhere near as good as the E Street Band. I was like... Uh, yeah, well, I never saw the E Street Band, so this is actually pretty spectacular. Uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, sorry, my, my bad. Right. That was, it was a stupid thing to say. Uh, I remember that. Um, and then the kind of they come back out and then they still go for another two hours afterwards. And um, beautiful. It was just it was it was beautiful. It was very, very important that I saw them. Um, I went back four or five nights later, saw the next night and then 93. Um, they came back and played a couple of nights in an arena and I couldn't get to those shows, but I did go and see him at 93 in this kind of big field, um, weird venue, 93. They played at a place called Milton Keynes. Okay. Um, and that was my first outdoor show. That was my first ever big, big like stadium show. Um, and I was, I think I was the sixth person there. And I was 19. Uh, and I drove to Milton Keynes that morning. I think I was up at three o'clock in the morning. I was there at 6 a.m. This was back before people were putting numbers on their hands or wristbands, right? Uh, I was there at 6 a.m. I was like sixth or seventh person there, just queued all day, all day, um, and was front and center for a, a, a three-hour outdoor show. And again, despite this being the other band, to me, it was just great. Now, jump forward to when I then finally saw the E Street Band on the reunion tour, right? Everything clicks and you realize, okay, 92 yeah. and 93 were very good, fun shows. You go and see even an average show on the reunion tour and it blows away everything. Yeah, you're like, oh, to. now I get what that okay. guy was saying. I get it. And what was fun, what was fun was on the, um, I saw six shows on the reunion tour. Um, and one of the, one of the ones in London I took my sister along who had always kind of put up with me blaring Bruce for years and kind sure. of up with my stories and my, at that time, bad attempts to replicate songs on my guitar. And we got to the end of the show. 
um, good show, you know, uh, in Earl's Court in London. And she looked at me and she said, uh, now I get it. That's so nice. I was like, well, finally, but good. Uh, and yeah. she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad I saw him. Really glad I saw him. And now I, now I finally understand what on earth you've been talking about for the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. What's, um, excluding Broadway, what's the furthest you traveled to see him? Uh, uh, actually, probably where you are right now. We, yeah. uh, we went from when we were living in the UK, uh, so 2008, uh, we decided we wanted to do a big, big road trip. Um, so we did, uh, this was the Magic Tour Okay. April 2008, we did Dallas, Houston, and Atlanta. And wow, that was just, well, that was a roller coaster of emotions on a few levels. Um, so we came out to Dallas, saw the guys play in Dallas 2008. You may well have been there. I was. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that was a that was a a good show. I mean, it was yeah. one of those shows where. Anyone else would probably declare that one of the great concerts they've ever seen. I look back at Dallas 2008 and say, yeah, that was fun. Bon Jovi came out on Glory Days. Yes. Um, which was good. We were, we were in the pit um, right down the front, uh, right down the front. Um, and then the following day, we flew down to Houston. And I, I know you've asked, one of the things you've asked people to prepare is kind of top shows ever. Yeah. Houston 2008 is in my top five shows ever of my 65 shows. Wow. Um, it was, did you go to that one as well? Did you no, I did not. No. So a um, couple of interesting facts about Houston 2008. Not a single song from, Dancing, uh, from Born in the USA. Not a single song from the Born in the USA album. Which must have happened a couple of times, but I can't think it would have happened many. Right. Um, and then in the encores, uh, Alejandro Escovado came out and played and they i mean they just clearly had a blast they that was really good fun but the the other thing that happened in houston uh was they came out on stage and we again we got very lucky dallas and houston in the pit both nights dallas front row houston pretty good and they came out on stage and one of those things that happens very rarely i mean i know bruce changes the set around quite a bit but they literally were walking out onto stage. And as he came up, Bruce kind of turned tail, walked back down, changed guitars and shouted out what he wanted to play as the first song. I got the set list that night. Thunder Road was the listed first song. And I've already told you how important Cadillac Ranch was to me from that documentary. And they opened Houston 2008 with Cadillac Ranch. And I, again, back to the point, 10-year-old Mark was very, very, very happy that night. And I would have... If they'd got to the end of Cadillac Ranch in Houston and said, thank you and good night, I would have said, that was my money's worth. Thank you very much. That was $150 very well spent. Um, But they, I mean, they went from Cadillac Ranch into Radio Nowhere and then on from there. And that Houston show is in my top five. The energy, the the set list, the the passion, just great. Um, And then a couple of nights later, Danny died. Mm. Uh, So the show in Atlanta was just understandably I mean, you could have forgiven them cancelling it, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he, uh, yeah, Danny died as we were, we stayed with some old family friends in Austin um, and uh, yeah, found out that Danny had died a couple of months later. So I think they cancelled three or four shows or rescheduled three or four. And I think Atlanta then was one of the first ones that they then didn't cancel after that. So understandably, yeah. just an incredibly somber show. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was the, I, I think that's the furthest that's, that's the furthest we've gone. Te- Texas from London. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. One of my um, stories that did not have a happy ending the way yours did is um, High Hopes tour down in Houston. Um, oh. The um, it's in the woodlands, which yeah. is kind of an outdoor arena. You know, the kind of palladium. So you have part of it underneath the thing, then the lawn. And um, he was going to open with This Is Your Sword, which is a song that I really have never heard live. I'd love to hear. 
Yeah. And um, right when they were going on stage, Tom Morello looked over to him and said, hey, we're in Houston. And so Bruce turns an audible and starts with seeds because it says, you know, we're in Houston town. Well, yeah. um, the working on the dream tour, he was in Houston and we went and he opened with seeds. So I'd already seen that. Oh, wow, so okay. I was like, dang it. I, you know, I can't believe that I did that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine, you know, Cadillac Ranch and you talking about how much you love Bruce Reynolds and, you know, Cannonball yeah. Run and yeah, yeah, yeah. Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, that I can imagine young Mark just squealing the internal, you know. Squealing. I, yeah. I, yeah, like I say, they could have literally ended the show after that one song, and I would have claimed yeah. that was the money. Anyway, yeah, exactly. So the um, you've actually, I wasn't expecting to talk talk about that kind of that that road trip too much. Although, as I say, Houston's one of my top five. But I'll just, yeah. I know in your kind of things to to talk about, there's kind of like stories from the shows sure. and stories from the road. Uh, I'll be brief about this one. I'm always hesitant. I, I love kind of sitting in a pit queue, yeah. sitting on the floor of a stadium and just talking shit, right? Just right. chatting. And I'm always, I am a bit hesitant of like one-upmanship, right? Taking someone's story and yeah. and trying yeah. to sound like you have a better story. And I'm, I'm always a bit wary. And this sounds, this sounds like a little bit of a kind of a, oh, check me out. This was cool. And I, and well, I, don't, mean it, I don't mean it to come across like that. But so well, go on. Unfortunately, if we did not do that, I would not have a podcast. Well, okay, you know, you know, you know, right, right, because um, the I it isn't that it's well, I've got a better story. It's oh, your story has prompted me to remember a story, which prompts you to remember another story. Okay, so well, that's, that's a lovely way. That's a lovely way of looking at it. And I, yes. I'm, I, I'm like you. I, I will sit on a on the floor of a pit and listen to people's stories for years and years and years and years. I, I met I met one lady once. Yeah, uh, we were sit like literally sitting on the floor in the pit in Phoenix, Arizona, 2016. Yeah, and I was telling her about how much I love uh, the version of Fire from the Bridge Show Benefit 1986. Right. Bruce and Danny and Bruce and Danny and Nils. She goes, oh, she, she goes, oh, I, I was there. I was like, you were there for the Bridge school benefits yeah. she was like yeah like neil young played and nils lofgren played a whole set and then bruce played and i was like and she was like yeah 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 the, i was there for that the hit they played fire and all that and i was like i you're the first person i've ever met that's there if i could if i could kind of transport myself to one show that i wasn't at i'd probably pick that just because of the songs they played and the way he yeah. collaborated different things and like like i've said yeah, I'm a huge, huge Nils Lofgren fan. Right. Uh, and actually, particularly when Nils plays acoustic guitar, let alone electric guitar, I, th I think his craftsmanship on the acoustic guitar is astonishing. Uh, and he becomes, he becomes very famous for the work on Because of the Night and Youngstown. But yeah. people that have never checked out his solo acoustic stuff, it's just mind-blowing. So, so he was here in Dallas. Um, I didn't get to see... The second time he was here, but the first time he came, um, it was him alone. Yeah. And uh, it was the show that someone stole his guitars. Oh, no way. You were there? Yes, I was there afterwards. And so, um, and it was interesting to hear him tell the stories that his friends, you know, lent him guitars. He was playing on borrowed guitars the whole night. Yes, it was. <laughs> and it was amazing. And um, I and I got to, because of the venue, um, it's a really small venue. Um, you know, he came back afterwards and just set up in the lobby. Yes. And, you know, you got pictures taken and he signed CDs and it was just absolutely beautiful. So he's just such a give, giving guy when it comes to that he'll stick yeah. around for hours after the show i i have um one of my favorite times meeting him he he'd been telling a story about how um he and lou reed collaborated together and it was it, it was on a night once where there was a, a cowboys redskins game or yes 
football team as they are right. now to be known. Uh, and so I kind of, I saw Nils a couple of times on this one tour and he told that story. So I met him before one of the shows yeah. he was kind of coming off his bus. I said, hey, we need to talk. I, I hear you're a lifelong Washington fan and I'm a lifelong Cowboys fan. And he literally stopped what he was doing. And we talked about the state of the Washington football team yeah. for 15 minutes. He talked about the owners and he talked about the team and he talked about yeah. like, what he wants to see change. It's like, why? Like, we didn't even need to talk about guitars. It was, um, I always think about this, Mark. There is a local sportscaster named Norm Hitzkus and um, has been doing this years. He is into his 70s and he, he was the, he was the first, um, as far as we know, the first morning talk sports talk show host in the country now definitely in dallas but they at this point they did never no one had ever tried to do sports in the morning and so norm did that but he gave this great story he said that if you you talk to nolan ryan the baseball player about his seven no hitters he will be bored and he'll be polite but it'll be you know, uh, sure. you ask him about the two home runs he hit, his <laughs> yeah, face will I, light up and he will yeah. talk. Yeah. So yeah. I always think of that when I'm interviewing someone, like, what what are the questions they don't normally get asked, yeah. right? Like, like, if I had a chance to talk to little Steven, I would, I'd certainly touch on music, but I would talk about, you seem to love American movie classics and you tend to love, so let's talk about, you know, um, Frank Capra and let's talk about your favorite classic films and talk about that to give them something different to talk about. And he seems to be um, a pretty big, you know, um, football fan. So it would be interesting to hear him talk. It's, it is kind of interesting, Mark, that, so much of the fan base for Bruce is from the Northeast. So therefore they are either giants or Eagles or the football team fans. And it is a lot of fun. We, we have a fun banter on Twitter or email. Like I'm, I'm trying to talk to this one guy and he, um, you know, he sent me an email and, and Jay said, um, enjoy the game you know, go Eagles, you know, go yeah, birds, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I've had other people going, I can't believe I'm friends with a Cowboy fan. Uh, so it does kind of work through that. So that's kind of yeah. neat. You're able to talk to yeah. him about that and share that, that passion. Yeah. It's uh, it, it was a, I went through the same kind of um, thought process. Cause I've, like, like I say, N- Nils is generally very ge- generous. Sure. With his and I've, I've seen Nils a good, I don't know, tw- let's say 25 times. It's around okay. that number. And I've, I've actively tried to meet him on quite a few occasions and, and, and to talk about, um, you know, the guitars that he uses. And he's very generous. He'll give you a good answer about yeah. why he uses a certain guitar and a certain song or the pedals he's using. And I've asked him that a couple of times, talked to him about his music. And, and, but it's a brief answer. Yeah. And I respect, I understand why it's a brief answer. It's because he's been talking about guitars for 60 years, right? Yeah. No one's ever yet come up to him and said, hey, we need to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. So it was kind of a learning to me of, you know, get people like a little bit away from their normal and talk about stuff where they can just be themselves. I I thought that was a a really, a really nice thing. So let, let me... If you don't mind, let, let me say the story that I had. I'd been kind of hemming and hawing about talking sure, about this one. Sure. And so, by the way, before you say that, hold that thought. Um, I have often told people that when they say, "Well, what is your show?" and I said, "What when it's good?" I said, "What it was is you're eavesdropping on two people in the pit." I mean, that's sure. what my show. That's what I want my show to be, is that you're in line and you're listening to a couple of people in front of you have a conversation, you know, in as they're in line, 
yeah. you know, queuing to get in yeah. the pit. Yeah. So yeah. Sorry. Continue, please. Now, well, that that's that's well, that's what it it feels like over this side of the Atlantic, from yeah. six thousand miles away. So it's uh, yeah, it's 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 good. <laughs> this is good fun. Good. So. Um, so we go to Dallas and Houston, and then we arrange to stay for four or five nights in Austin. I, we always wanted to go to Austin. Sure. Very, very luckily, uh, my wife had an old family friend. So my wife lived in the U.S., in Arizona, when she was very young, five, six years old, and had stayed in contact with uh, like a good family friend who was now living in Austin. Okay. So we arranged to go and stay with her four or five nights. Um, mm-hmm. And she lived in a... But like a, in a really nice kind of groovy part of Austin, yeah. we we knew she we knew she knew a few famous people. I'm not, and I'm not going to say who they are to to name drop, but um, she was a vet and looked after some animals for some couple of famous people, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, musicians. But um, she said, "Oh, I have this friend. I'm going to invite him to dinner." Uh, he, I was talking to him the other day, and I told him that you were in in town because you were going to some Springsteen shows and he was really interested in that. Yeah. I was like, oh, wonderful. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I will meet musicians and talk about music, but you know, yeah, very, sure. very happily. Um, so we arranged uh, on the third or fourth night that we were in Austin to go out for this meal, downtown Austin, lovely, lovely restaurant. Um, and we sit down and, uh, and our, our friend has invited three or four people out. One of which she had told us is called Mac referred to him consistently as Mac. Okay. Um, so sit down and I, by chance, I'm sitting next to Mac. Uh, and he even introduced himself as Mac. I said, hey, uh, Mac, great to meet you. I'm Mark. You know, our friend's been saying a lot about you and uh, uh, that you wanted to kind of understand what we were doing here. I was like, you know, we've been in Dallas and Houston watching Bruce. And this is his response, right? Yeah, he said, uh, I was really keen to, to meet you and, and hear what Bruce is doing today. I loved recording with him in 92. I said, uh, excuse me? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, you know, I never knew if the songs made it onto albums. Uh, and as he's speaking to him, I'm like, this guy's English. Uh, this is strange. He said, uh, yeah, but I recorded, he said it was 91 or 92. Man, that was fun. That was some of the most fun sessions I've ever had. He said, I think it was very different Springsteen music. And I was like, hang on a second. You recorded with Bruce Springsteen. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Who are you? Yeah, exactly. He said, Ian McLagan. Oh, funny. And I said, and I'm a complete idiot. I said, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that I was meeting Ian McLagan today. He's like, that's fine. I prefer it that way. He said, I wanted to meet, I wanted to meet you. I'm like, geez. And to not overblow this in any way, for four hours, I was privileged to just sit and listen to Ian McLagan regale us with stories from the road. Oh, from how his, funny. From his 40 years. Uh, now, there's some stories I'm simply not ever repeating. They're going to sure, absolutely, it, it, yeah, it, it, including the most beautiful, insightful nugget about John Landau, but that's remaining between him and me. Yeah, but he talked to me in quite some detail about how inspirational Bruce is to record with, and the level of detail that is expected of you in terms of the musicianship that you are. Mm-hmm. And and then Ian said to me, um. Uh, did, would you know the songs that, that I played on? And I was like, yes, I do know the songs that you played on. My Beautiful Reward on Lucky Town and Real Man on Human Touch. And he's like, oh, did they make it onto albums in the end? I was like, what? You didn't even look oh, to see if they made it onto albums? Yeah. He's like, no, he said, I'm a, I'm a session musician. I'm not a fan. Yeah. He said, I, I quite like Bruce. He said, I, I Met him, you know, what our paths have crossed in the 70s and the 80s. He, and then he said, in fact, when he was, he said, when he was in Austin last, I was invited on the guest list. I went along, I was backstage, which I, I think must have been the Rising Tour, I think. Yeah. But I don't know for sure, but I think he meant the Rising Tour. He's like, yeah, I, 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 I'm a musician, mate. I, I, I 
I'm paid to play on people's music. I don't have to go back and listen to it. I was like, my beautiful reward literally is such an important song from that period of time. It closed almost every show of the tour. Right. He was like, oh, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I, I did have to point out that Real Man is viewed as just about the worst song Bruce Franklin has ever been responsible for. Yeah. Which caused some hilarity. But uh, the, the fact that we sat and chatted about Bruce a bit and, and probably 5% of the evening was spent talking about Bruce, we moved on very quickly to talking about, like I say, tales from the road for 40 years. I am so privileged. And there are probably people out there who are bigger faces and Rod Stewart fans than I am. I, I can't claim to be a faces, small faces, yeah. Rod Stewart fan. I think, I think Ian even spent time not formally as part of the Rolling Stones, but, but I think played on some albums. Yeah. You know, I, I, I actually feel quite bad about, you know, the number of people that would have paid money to sit sure. in that night. But I almost think, you know, that could have happened to me with Roy or Gary or Clarence. And I'm almost, in fact, I am glad it didn't. I am glad it wasn't one of those guys because yeah. I probably wouldn't have been as just cool and interested, right? There's something, right? I, I sat next to Gary in, in a restaurant in Oslo once, completely by accident. He was literally, we were in Oslo to see a show. And the restaurant was full and Gary walked into the restaurant and was literally sat next to us. Yeah. Uh, and me and my wife just carried on the evening, determined not to interrupt him. Yeah. He actually started a couple of conversations with us about Oslo and right? nice. We never told him who we were and that we were there to see him the next night. Yeah. But I'm almost really, really glad that it was, it was Ian McLagan and I had no idea who he was and he just told stories. He was hilarious. And that to me is about as special a, you know, story from the road stories oh, from the sure. road. It, it was beautiful Lo loved it and i love the idea he didn't even know if they made it on the album oh yeah because it was I, just I, a gig to him i i was i didn't show i was outraged yeah i was i was outraged yeah because yeah. we're fans and if i mean does you know if i was asked to do something right which i'm never going to be and i'm at peace with that right right bruce doesn't want me on his road crew he doesn't want me in his recording right. studio right he doesn't yeah. nor should i be there for any yeah. reason but if i was asked to do something and my name was credited on something or i i i would know to the final detail what happened to that piece of work or to that task or to that thing i had been involved in and he was like uh, the word the quote was I'm a musician. I'm not a fan. Yeah. And, and I thought I was just fascinating. It was fascinating to me. I don't know. Have you ever watched the Wrecking Crew documentary? No. I don't think okay. I so it's worth looking up. It is, okay. it, it is a documentary all about the, the studio musicians that were in Southern California that they did a lot of the music for the monkeys. Um, Brian huh. Wilson during the yeah. Pet Sounds era used them. Phil Spector used them. They were yeah. this group of, of very, you know, because during the 60s and early 70s, bands often didn't play their own music, right? They, yeah, yeah. they had the studio musicians do all the music. And in one of them, one of the guitarists talked about that, you know, it never bothered him whether it was a hit or not because he was paid. I'm a paid musician, right? I, I have a fee. I get paid per hour. I go in there and if it's a hit, great. And it makes millions of dollars for the artist. Yep. I don't care because if it bombs and makes them nothing, I, I've already been paid. It truly was like this guy's talking about. It's just the job. It's the same thing as if you know, you're going into the office or I'm going to the office and, you know, I'm working on my spreadsheet or I'm working on my, you know, PowerPoint presentation. It's just the job for me, not yeah. something yeah. that we would go, oh my goodness, how did you not do this? That's, that's great. That's a great story. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good memory. And it's funny, you know, th thinking over the last month about stuff I'd kind of like to say yeah. on here, it's quite funny that one of the ones that really popped into my head was, was someone not really at all connected with Bruce yeah. Springsteen at all, other than two days in a recording studio. Yeah. Um, 
Mark Dempsey and I were just getting started talking. In fact, if you were one of my patrons, you got the unedited discussion with Mark, and it was over three hours uh, where we talked a little bit of everything. I'm getting it down to under two hours, but I'm going to break this podcast up into two episodes. So come back tomorrow for the second half of my discussion with Mark. Thank you. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Settlesting Bruce. The theme for Settlesting Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.